Lord God, thank you for the reading of your word this morning, and I just pray that it would come alive to us as we listen and look deeper into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, so this morning I have the um, the privilege of starting us off in this new series. Um, We're going to take four weeks to look at the book of Ruth. It's got four chapters, so we get to just cover one uh, chapter a week, which is pretty cool. So before we jump into that, it's good for us to kind of understand where the book of Ruth fits in the entire story of the Bible, right? Now, obviously, the book of Ruth is named after one of the main characters in the Bible, and um, it's actually only one of two books in the entire Bible named after a woman, and it's the only book in the Bible that's named after a person that's not an Israelite. So I found that pretty interesting. The very first sentence helps us pinpoint where it fits in the Bible, and it begins with, in the days when the judges ruled in Israel. So this tells us when it happened. The book of Ruth comes directly after the book of Judges. And it's likely that the story of Ruth happened somewhere towards the beginning of the history that's covered in the book of Judges, which is a three to four hundred year period. And um, this is when the people of Israel were living in the Promised Land. It had mostly been conquered. It was after Joshua had died, but before the people had asked for a king. Okay, but it was a, quite a dark time for the people of Israel. They fell into cycles of disobedience, where they would get caught up with the people around them. They would start following or, or um, uh, following their idols and. Um, They would fall into great trouble and distress, and then they'd get into such trouble that at some point they would call out to God, and God would raise up a judge, and the judge would help rescue the people, bring them back to God, and typically there would then be a period of peace while that judge lived, and then when the judge died, there would be another cycle. The people would go back to idolatry and rebellion. So it was a really kind of dark period in Israel's history. So the point of this little story of Ruth that happens during this period is to show that there was a remnant of Israelites that still had faith in God, that still wanted to follow his ways at that time. And through them, there was hope because Um, Due to God's kindness, due to God's generosity to all people, his plan of redemption hadn't changed. And um, there would be one to come that was going to bring that redemption through this faithful remnant of people. And then within the story as well, we see how God's law for his people provided a system of generosity for those that were poor, that had come on hard times, that were less fortunate, and um, those that had more were generous and provided hope for those people. So it's a rich book where beneath the history and the little story that's told, um, there are word pictures and um, a bigger story that's being told that has greater truth for all of humanity. So right at this point, I want to say hi to the podcast people that might be listening in as well. Um, We've already had chapter one of Ruth read to us this morning, and um, so now would be a really great time if if you're listening in to maybe pause the podcast and listen to the chapter on your audio Bible. Um, The Chapter one takes about five minutes to listen to. The whole book only takes 20 minutes, so it's well worth doing, and then jump back onto the podcast. But if you're here with me this morning, then um, if you already 
have your Bibles um, grab them back out again because we're going to keep looking through that chapter as we go. Um, so today we are looking at chapter one, as I said, and as I mentioned, Ruth is one of the key characters. There's another key character called Boaz in the story. Now, we're not actually going to meet him today. He doesn't turn up till chapter two, but there is a third key person in the story, and in many ways, the book of Ruth is actually kind of her story, and this is Naomi. Now, sometimes she gets a bit of a bad rap because she's and is known as a bitter old woman because of um, what she calls herself in chapter one. But what I'd like to show you this morning is that she actually, I think, she was a woman of faith, and that we can learn a lot from her and from the way that she navigated loss and family and friendships and her commitment to God even through her darkest times. There are five things that I've seen about Naomi that I'm um, hoping to communicate to you. So let's jump in. The first five verses, we are introduced to a family, as you've heard. There's a father, a mother, who's Naomi, and two boys. We're told in verse 2 that they're Ephraimites. So this means that they're Israelites from the tribe of Ephraim. We're also told that they're from Bethlehem, which is right in the heart of the promised land and obviously becomes really famous later as Jesus' birthplace. Now, Bethlehem means house of bread. So the name kind of, it suggests that it's a place of provision. But we're told that this family left because there was a severe famine. Now, there's sort of, there's some questions around whether they should have left at all and questions around whether they should have gone to this place, Moab. Now, we can understand a family wanting to provide enough food for them to survive, right? But in leaving Bethlehem and in going to Moab, they separated themselves from the community of God's people, the Israelites, and they went to live among foreigners and idol worshippers. And as I've already mentioned, that was a problem back then. You know, there was a specific warning in the law about the Moabites because of the history of their interactions with the Israelites, and they'd been told that they shouldn't set up a treaty of friendship with these people. The Moabites were essentially Israel's enemies, um, and they weren't to be mixed with. But anyway, while the tragedy strikes, and the husband Elimelech dies, leaving Naomi and her two boys. Now, From a provision point of view, they were kind of still okay at that point because the boys could um, provide for the family and carry on the family line. They each marry Moabite women. Now, neither of the couples has any children, and we're told that after they'd lived in the land for about 10 years, um, both sons also die, leaving their young widows and their mother, Naomi. Now, this leaves all three women destitute. They have no property rights, they have no provider, they have no protection, they have no ears. They are vulnerable and impoverished at this point, and this really is where the story begins. Now, it's really interesting, um, particularly in the Old Testament, how names given to people often are really significant later on to their character or something that happens um, in their story. And this seems to be the case throughout the book of Ruth. So let's take a look at their names. Well, Elimelech, his name means God is king. So if we take the names to reflect character, then we could reasonably guess that Elimelech probably had a, a true faith in God. 
Then there's Naomi, and her name means pleasant, which is pretty nice, and as you've already heard, we're going to hear some more about that later. The son's names, Malon and Kilion, well, unfortunately, they mean sick and pining, so they don't sound too strong, do they? Then there's the daughters-in-law, Orpah. She mean, her name means fawn, as in like a baby deer, um, but it also means stubborn or stiff-necked. And then there's Ruth, and her name simply means friendship. But she's also referred to as Ruth the Moabite, Ruth the Moabite, the Moabites, all through the book. It's like over and over, we are reminded she's a foreigner. She's not part of God's people. She's outside of this group. So what about you? I bet as a kid you loved hearing where your name came from and how your parents named you, right? Well, I'd love you to take just one minute um, now to talk to someone near you, maybe someone in front of you or behind you, not someone in your family because they might know the story. Um, Introduce yourself to them if you don't already know them and see what you can find out about their name, either what it means, how they got their name, who they were named after, something like that. One minute, go. Okay, awesome. Love hearing the hum out there. Hey, if you're in the middle of a really interesting story, then um, at the end, make sure you hear the rest of it when I'm when we've finished. Um, so, as for me, I'm one of four siblings in my family, and um, many of the names amongst myself and my brother and sisters um, have some special meaning. So, I thought I'd share them with you. So, my brother is the oldest. And um, he got the middle name Raymond. Now, Raymond happens to be my dad's name, and, but also on my mum's side is my grandfather's name. So it's kind of like a double whammy middle family name. And then, then there's me. And then the sister down from me, um, before she was born, my grandmother on my mum's side had sadly passed away. So my mum gave my sister her mum's middle name, um, yeah, as... Oh, sorry, my grandmother's first name became my sister's middle name, and her name is Alva, which I think is really pretty. But the bonus there was, although my mum was always a bit worried, that um, she thought people might think that she, she named my sister after Elvis, because he died that year as well, but I, I think Alva's really pretty. <laughs> and then there's my youngest sister, and... Um, She got my grandmother on the other side. She got her official first name as her middle name, and that's the name Sarah. Now, my grandmother had a really interesting name. She had three um, first names plus a surname because her first two first names um, were named after infant sisters that had died before she was born. So she got those two plus a bonus one, and that's the one that she went by because it was kind of just uniquely hers. But my sister got Sarah. 
um, as a middle name. And then she got a second middle name, Rose, um, which was a great-grandmother on the other side. So she kind of got this double whammy as well, which is pretty cool. So you're wondering about my name now, right? Where did my name come from? Clearly, my parents had a thing for names with special meanings and family names. So you'd um, probably guess that my name would be pretty special. Well, my middle name is Nicola. Thankfully, nothing to be ashamed of there. Um, but it turns out that that was the name that mum had wanted to name me, but because she'd named my brother his first name, it wasn't her turn. So I got Nicola as my middle name. That's fine. So dad got to choose my first name. It was his turn. And... Um, Back when there was one TV channel, <laughs> he thought the weather presenter at the time was kind of pretty. And her name was Tina. So, yes, I am named after the weather lady. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's, that's it. That's the story. <laughs> so, back to Ruth, and we're going to find out how some of their names um, tie in with their stories. So let's take a look at verse, verses 6 and 7 where we, um, we're going to start finding out about Naomi and the five things. The first thing is that we see Naomi returns to community with God's people. You know, as a family, they had settled outside God's community of people. But now Naomi had um, lost all those people that were important to her, and she considered where her help was going to come from. And somehow she had heard all the way from Moab that there were good crops again in Bethlehem. And note that she had heard that the Lord had blessed the people there. So she made a decision, and she set out on the road that would lead them back. I think those are really significant words there. You know, it's true that she was going back to Bethlehem because of the crops, and it meant that it would really be a house of bread once again. But, you know, I think also Naomi knew that within her people there were laws and provisions and protection for those that were destitute and to be cared for through family and the generosity of those that had plenty. In Naomi's time of trouble, God nudged her one step at a time back into community with God's people and back to the promised land. You know, God has made us as people for community. And as people, we are called into community with one another. You know, in the Old Testament, the Israelites were called to be together and to keep themselves separate from the nations around them so that God could protect them as a people and keep their line safe for the one that he was bringing. In the New Testament, believers are called together for a different reason, to support and encourage one another and to care for one another in shared faith and to create a community where love's God, oh, sorry, God's love can be shown and shared and where it's an inviting place for people to want to come and to know more about him. You know, for me, I know that every place I've lived in, finding community among other believers has been a real key to finding um, support and really growing in my faith. Now, I grew up in a little town, in a little church, with a little community of believers, um, but this is where I first chose my personal faith. Then a bit later, I left home and I went far, far away to the big, big city of Palmerston North. <laughs> and that was where I had to own my own faith. 
outside of my family and decide, you know, is this what I'm going to do for me and am I going to get involved and am I going to go to church and, and that kind of thing. And that's, this is where I found independent faith. And I loved being part of a bigger church and a big bunch of friends my age that shared my faith and all that was going on there. And, you know, finding Simon, that was a real bonus in that place. Well, that was, that was awesome. Um, and then we shifted to Hamilton and we came to CBC. And the community of believers here have been our family and our home away from home for over two decades now, and through the good times as well as through the challenges. And this has been a place for me to practice persevering and learning faith. So in each place, God has used God's, his community of other people to encourage and teach and support me, as well as opportunities for me to do the same to others. You know, often when we hear people's faith stories, they're often woven in with the stories of other people, aren't they? So I wonder, where are you connected in? You know, if you're not connected in with other people here at CBC, how could you get connected in? It's possible to be here on a Sunday morning and actually not be very connected with anyone. And I know because I've been through seasons of that as well. You know, our faith in God is personal, but we love to be together as well. This happens here on a Sunday morning, and there's something encouraging about standing alongside one another, praising God together, praying together, um, worshipping together, learning together, and all of what we do here. And, you know, we have many versions of that as well in our life groups and our ministries where we choose to share life and faith with one another. You know, coming to church or going to life group or um, being in a ministry doesn't make you a Christian, but being part of a community of believers reflects God's design for the church as a body that works together, as a, f- um, a family of people who care for one another. For Naomi, it was hardship that took her away from God's people, and it was hitting rock bottom that made her return. Now, I wonder, is God calling you to set out from wherever it is that you are today and take whatever steps are needed for you to go deeper into that support and comfort and connection of the community of God's people? Hey, let's look at verses 8 to 18 now. And this is where Naomi reveals a contagious faith. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law, they set out on the road to Bethlehem, and they haven't gone far when Naomi decides to try and send the young woman back. You know, she kindly points out that she um, has no future security to offer them, and that at least at home in Moab, they have the chance of being cared for by their families, having protection there, maybe finding another husband. Naomi is really generous in her words to the girls. She thanks them for the kindness that they've shown to her, the kindness they showed to their husbands. And note that she uses God's name to bless their futures. Both girls seem to really genuinely love Naomi as they cry and weep, and it's a really hard decision for them to make. Well, Orpah eventually uh, gives in to Naomi's insistence, and she returns home. Perhaps that's why her name means fawn, because she runs back. But perhaps it's also why her name means stubborn, because Naomi observes that she's gone back to her small g, gods in Moab. 
Perhaps she resisted putting her faith in the God Naomi believed in and returned to what she knew. Well, Ruth's stubborn too, but in a different way. She refuses to leave Naomi. And it looks like Ruth gives up everything, sacrifices her future to generously um, stay by her mother-in-law's side and support her loyally. But I would suggest that Ruth trades security in the physical for security in the spiritual, because it wasn't just a decision between Moab and Bethlehem. It wasn't just a decision between her family of birth and Naomi. It was a decision between the idols of Moab or the God that Naomi knew. So Ruth bravely gives up Moab and all it has to offer, and she grabs hold of faith in the Lord and what he has to offer. And then there's her famous words in verses 16 and 17, where she says, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. You know, it's kind of funny to think that these verses are often read at weddings, but it's actually the declaration of a daughter-in-law to her mother-in-law. But more than that, it's a declaration of true faith in the one true God of the Israelites. Now consider this. For Ruth to put her faith in God, Naomi's faith had to be visible and tangible and compelling. It had to be obvious to Ruth that to live like Naomi meant to have faith in God. So it makes me wonder, what do people see when they see the way that I live? What do they see when they see the way that you live? When people hang out with me, do they know I have a faith from what I say and what I do? When I express my faith, is it something that's powerful and positive and draws them to want to know more? You know, it made me think um, of a time quite a few years ago now when I had a friend that was fairly new at the time, and she said to me, so what is it you believe exactly? And I was like, oh! And then I gave her um, a quick three-minute rundown of Christianity and, and the gospel. And I tried to make it not sound too weird. Um, and I don't really remember, to, she didn't have much of a response, but it's made, made me think, shouldn't I be living in a way where people are asking me that question more often? You know, I'm still friends with her, so clearly I didn't freak her out too much, didn't scare her off, but, and I, but I still pray that she might see something in me that would make her want to know more about God. So I'm challenged by Naomi's life to think, what would it look like for me to live out my faith more boldly, for it to be more visible, for it to be compelling and contagious like Naomi's was? Because if yeah, does my faith sound boring in a list of duties when I talk about it? Or does it sound like an amazing relationship that brings me joy and strength and comfort and hope from God? You know, I want to have a contagious faith like Naomi did. We're going to look at the next section of verses now, verses 19 to 21. And there are three things out of our five here. The next one is that Naomi has rich and comforting friendships. So as Naomi and Ruth make their way to Bethlehem, the first thing I see here is Naomi's friends. You know, I don't know who sent the text message 
so that they were expecting them, but it says the whole town comes out to greet Naomi and Ruth. It says the whole town is stirred or excited. There's this hum around town about Naomi coming back and this young woman that was with her. You know, the women of the town in particular are mentioned. They know Naomi. These are the ladies that knew Naomi before. Um, Before when she was a busy wife and mum. Before when life was full. Before when Naomi was pleasant. Before the famine before they went away. You know, they hear that it's her, but then they see Naomi, and they can't quite believe their eyes. You know, I wonder if the guys maybe didn't notice, but the women did. They exclaim, is this really Naomi? I wonder if there's a slump in Naomi's shoulders as she walks back into town. Or is it just unimaginable that this could be Naomi returning, and those that she loved, that she left with, aren't with her? These women ask, can this really be her? They knew her well enough to know that something had changed. She was different. And this is the point where Naomi explains, and then she says she doesn't want to be called pleasant anymore, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. But there's some clues that that this friendship with these women was strong and continuing and encouraging. The fact that the women were there to greet her and they remembered Naomi, even though she'd been away for 10 years, they came out excited to see her back. Naomi pretty quickly honestly opens up to these women about what's happened and how she's feeling. Um, There's a real mutual trust going on there. There's no response recorded from the women, but I can tell from later on in the story that these women did not abandon Naomi in her time of her need and, and difficulty because, spoiler alert, for the end of the story, there is a happily ever after in chapter four. And you know what? The women of the town are mentioned there again. They're there now sharing in Naomi's joy and her happiness and they're celebrating and they're praising God for the good things that have happened to her. So these women, they seem to embrace um, their friendship with Naomi and the way that Christians are encouraged to support one another in Romans 15. They show sincere love. They're devoted to one another. Um, They mourn with Naomi when she's grieving here, and later on they rejoice with her when she's celebrating. All of us need our people, right? We need people that will support us and cheer us on, cry with us when we need them, and laugh with us. So who, who are your people? Who do you go to when times are tough or when times are great? You know, I have four or five people who are first to come to mind when there's something extra big to pray for or to celebrate, and some of them are here this morning. And I'm blessed to be able to say that, especially when it comes to family things, my lovely mother-in-law is one of those people too. You know, do your friends point you back to God always? Do they encourage you? to keep trusting him in the tough times? And do they praise him with you in the good times when they see his work in your life? Will you deliberately choose to have people around you that will strengthen your faith? You know, maybe there's someone younger than you that you could just take under your wing and um, share your faith journey with and your wisdom with. Or maybe you could find someone that's a bit further along in their faith journey than you and just ask them to walk alongside you in faith and friendship. That would be really cool. 
hey, the next thing I see still in these verses is that Naomi recognizes God's character. If you look at how Naomi speaks of her situation, she seems to bitterly blame God for all that's happened to her and to her family. Back in verse 13, she said that the Lord's fist had been raised against her. And here in verse 21, she says that God has made her life bitter and God has sent tragedy on her. You know, often in the Bible we're told when God directly acts to bring circumstances into people's lives. But here, we're not told specifically, but it certainly seems to be what Naomi um, believes at this point. But what we do know is that by the end of the book, God has a, we know that God has a reason for bringing Naomi and Ruth back to Bethlehem, that God brings good from their tragedy. Now, Naomi's words seem pretty strong and angry here, but I really admire her honesty before God. And even in the midst of her pain, and yes, her feelings of bitterness, that those she loved have gone, there's acknowledgement of God's sovereignty and God's power. And she speaks of God in a personal way, as one who knows her, that's personally involved in her life as she talks to the woman about what's happened. And she speaks of God as Lord and as Almighty. Now, Lord is the name Jehovah, the self-existent, eternal one. Almighty is the name Shaddai, which gives God place as most powerful. These are the names she uses. Spoiler alert again for the chapters to come. When things turn around and Ruth is able to provide food, Um, enough for them. Naomi speaks God's blessing over the person that helped. And when the story has a happy ending with a wedding and a baby, with security and hope and a future, then in those times, God is acknowledged and praised and given the recognition for how things have turned around. So what about you? Do you know God's character well enough that you can trust him when things are going well, as well as when they're going difficult. Who do you know God to be? Do you know him as Jehovah and as Shaddai? Hey, the last thing that I see about Naomi, still from these verses, is that Naomi refused to carry false names. Now, you may be looking at those verses and thinking, oh, I think she's got that one wrong, but just give me a minute. So Naomi's really honest about how she's feeling when she talks to these women of Bethlehem that have come out to greet her, she feels bitter. And um, Naomi means pleasant, but she, she doesn't feel pleasant at all. She tells her friends, call me bitter. She feels empty. She's lost her husband. She's lost two sons. She has no protection as a single widow. She has no income. She has no way to provide for herself and for Ruth. She's also not able to utilize the land and the inheritance and the property of her husband's family without a son or a husband or even a grandson would have been enough. A Y chromosome would have been really helpful right then. She returns to Bethlehem at the mercy of those around her and she acknowledges her desperation and she renames herself Mara in that moment, which means bitter. She says to her friends, it would be better if you just called me bitter. Don't call me pleasant anymore because she doesn't see her life as pleasant at this point. But I want you to know that it's really interesting 
that although Naomi declares that she should be called Mara, she never is again in the entire book. The name Mara, the name Bitter, doesn't stick to Naomi. It's not who Ruth thinks she is. It's not who her friends think she is. It's not who the town thinks she is. It's not who wrote the book of Ruth thinks she is. Every time she's referred to, she's referred to as Naomi, as pleasant, apart from this one time when she gives herself the name. Mara may have been that name that she gave herself, and Bitter may have been her situation right then, but I think that God had gifted Naomi both her name and her character as pleasant and kind and gracious. And to me, Naomi's um, words in the, in the rest of the book and her actions seem way more pleasant than bitter. Here are some of the ways that I see that. You know, Naomi, in chapter one, she cared sacrificially for her daughters-in-law and she wanted them provided for, which is why she tried to send them home. She saw the kindness in Ruth and Orpah and she prayed a blessing over their future. Um, both those young women loved her like a mother. They must have seen her as pleasant. Then in the coming chapters in the next few weeks, what you're going to see is that Naomi continues to trust God and the laws and the systems that he has in place for his people in a, in a positive way. Next week, you're going to hear that there are rumors about Ruth that spread around the town. And Naomi must have spoken highly of Ruth because the rumors of Ruth are all positive. Um, although Ruth is a foreigner and a Moabite, which is a really big deal, there's no bad gossip about her, just good reports. And so I think Naomi is generous and kind in her words to others. Later in chapter two, Naomi encourages and praises Ruth and um, she's concerned for her physical safety. In chapter three, um, Naomi recognizes and trusts the good character of Boaz when he turns up and she plans how she can help make Ruth's future secure and provided for. So despite what she calls herself in this moment, I don't see Naomi as bitter. I see her as pleasant, as full of faith, with a generous spirit. Hey, now remember when I told you about my names and how I got them? Well, at times I can feel like that story about my name tells you that actually I'm nothing special, nothing significant or exciting to tell there. Not very interesting, actually quite plain and ordinary. Pretty dull, really. Not much of a story to tell. And that's just one set of names that I can give to myself at times. But it turns out, though, if you look up the meanings of my names, like in a, in a baby book, um, if you look up Tina, it's um, a shortened form of Christina, and it just means simply a Christian, which is pretty cool. As for Nicola, it's the feminine form of Nicholas, and it means people of victory. So, okay, I'll take those. That sounds good. I'll identify myself as a Christian, as a believer in and a follower of Jesus, and I'll walk this journey of life, knowing that as a Christian, I join with my spiritual family and my heritage and being part of a people of victory. Victory for this life, and victory for eternity through our Redeemer, Jesus. That's who I really am. That's what my name really means. You know, I thought I'd be funny and just search up on the internet to see whether Tina meant anything else, and the internet did not disappoint me. <laughs> Apparently, there's this thing called the Tina effect. I couldn't have made this up. 
Tina stands for there is no alternative. Don't you love that? Now, apparently the slogan was often used by former British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher when she talked about the economy um, to say that her way was the only way to deal with the economy and the debate was over. So I quite like the sound of the Tina effect. <laughs> um, if I have an argument now, I'm just going to say, well, you might think you're right, but I'm calling the Tina effect. The debate is over. I'm right. So... <laughs> Pretty cool. So God, God has called me by name, and he's called you by name as well. Do you know what he's called you? He's called you chosen. He's called you redeemed. He's called you made in his image. He's called you a child of God, a daughter or a son. He's called you loved. He's called you a citizen of heaven. He's called you blessed. He's called you set free. He's called you a friend of Jesus. We could just keep going, couldn't we? So I don't know about the names that you've given yourself. Maybe you don't even speak them aloud. Maybe it's a name you've given yourself or maybe your circumstances you feel have given them to you. Maybe other people have given you names that... False, but today would you choose to trade back any false names and instead live in the names that the Redeemer has given you? And if Satan or the world or someone else or even yourself tell you those false names are who you are, I give you full permission to call the Tina effect on them on my behalf and say there is no alternative to the names that God has given you. Hey, we come to the very last verse of this chapter, and it's a teaser for chapter two. We're nearly done. Naomi is down and out in chapter one. She really is. But there are three glimmers of light to her story. First, she's back in Bethlehem with God's people. Secondly, she may feel empty and bitter, but Ruth is with her. And thirdly, they arrive just as the barley harvest is beginning. So in the rest of the story, is there comfort to be found for Naomi and the people of God and the friends that know her? Will Ruth's loyalty and friendship and shared faith help Naomi through this dark time? Is there provision coming through this barley harvest? Well, you'll have to come back next week and the week after and the week after to find out. Or you could read ahead, that's totally okay as well. So in summary now, I just want to go over what we've seen in Naomi. Naomi returned to community with God's family. She revealed a contagious faith. She recognised God's character. She had rich and comforting friendships, and she refused to carry false names. So let's flip that now. Uh, to how Naomi's faith challenges us today. You know, five is a lot of things. So maybe there's just one thing on, on this list, or one or two, that prompts you today. Will you choose to return to or choose to value community with God's family, whether that's here at CBC or another family of God's people? Will you dare to reveal a courageous faith? Will you choose to recognize and trust in God's character? Will you purposely grow rich in comforting faith friendships for yourself? 
And will you choose to refuse to carry false names? Because there truly is no alternative to the names God has called you to. Let me pray. Lord God, I thank you for this community here at CBC. Lord God, I thank you that you call us to be a community, to be a body that works together, to be a family that care and support one another. Lord God, I pray for those here this morning who are just really longing for a deeper connection, Lord God. Would you give them courage to seek somebody out, Lord God? Would you um, yeah, put the right person in their path, Lord, that they may find community and connection and care here in this place, Lord God. And I just pray too for those of us who give ourselves false names or feel that we have false names put on us, Lord God. Would you continue to remind us throughout today and this week, Lord God, that the names that you give us are who we really are and who we can live from uh, as we trust you and walk in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.